Welcome everyone to the Top Producer Podcast. I am Paul Neefer, your host. And today we're actually going to have a conversation with Katie Lee. She is the Vice President in Charge of Governmental Affairs for the Farm Journal Foundation. Did I get that totally correct, Katie? More or less, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, and, and the reason we're having the conversation is Katie attended the COP28 uh, event that was held, uh, oh, what, a couple of weeks ago in Dubai? Is that, uh, when When was the actual event held, Katie? Yeah, so COP28 was the first half of December of okay. last year, I guess we can say now. Yeah, yeah, we have to get used to writing 24 instead of 23 on our checks. So uh, exactly. we got to remember to do that. So, and it was held in Dubai. And, and for the audience out there, what does COP stand for? Yes. Yeah, so we're getting into some interesting lingo, international organization lingo. So it actually stands for Conference of the Parties. And this was actually the 28th Conference of the Parties organized by the United Nations, hosted by the UA government and focused on climate change negotiations, primarily between governments and international organizations. And and so why is it important uh, or why does it matter for ag or for farmers out there? Sure. Well, I, I should say thank you, first off, for, for yeah. having me on, on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be here with you. And uh, I, I'd say that this Conference of the Parties, COP28, over 80,000 people attended this COP, actually. So while the basis of this event is, is focused on negotiations at the government and international organization level, it's become a broader event. And it, it really is the premier event of the year now that's focused on climate change and related issues. And I'm talking about all issues in connection with climate change, energy, you know, things beyond food and agriculture, right? But but thousands of leaders from around the world, you know, from governments, international organizations, businesses, the nonprofit sector, including myself and, and three of my foundation colleagues, we, we all gathered at COP to discuss solutions and make commitments to address climate change, including related to the role of food and agriculture. So for the first time at a COP, there was a whole day devoted to food and agriculture as well as water. And I honestly, I would say that historically, it, it seems like there's been a view of agriculture by some as part of the problem related yeah. to climate change. But that I think has thankfully started to change in the past few years and shift. And now a lot more folks view, I mean, we've always had this view at Farm Journal Foundation, right? But many more people now are viewing agriculture as part of the solution. And the commitments and pledges that were made at, at this COP, they, they ultimately connect back to farmers. At the end of the day, farmers and our food supplies are really on the front lines. Extreme weather events like droughts, heat waves, and floods can have huge impacts on harvests and farmers' bottom lines. So global commitments, they have to focus on how to help farmers prepare for increasingly volatile weather conditions including what research and innovations are needed to enable them to adapt. So it, it really is continuing and increasingly so becoming an event and a moment where food and agriculture need to be 
at the table and need to speak up and make sure their voices are heard. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are arguably the most affected by climate change. And they are the ones implementing these solutions on their land. And they need to have solutions that work for them and, and their bottom lines. And this is an issue we're going to be talking about for a long time. So that's what I would say to that, that question. Yeah, and I agree because, you know, I, I just know I've been reading some headlines and some uh, articles, you know, about the fact that, you know, meat, producers of meat are sort of considered to be the ones that are, you know, contributing to uh, the increase in, in temperatures and so on. And is that really the reality? And and if we don't get out there and present our side of the story, you know, you, you just got to watch out for that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'd say that the dairy industry is one one particular example where I mean they've taken a lot of of uh, they've they've made a lot of strides and and taken a lot of initiative in trying to move toward a future of being as as climate conscious and resilient as possible while also staying in business and and providing us dairy products, right? I mean that's yeah. that's so important to to remember. Like these are this is a business too, right? And and it's there, there are people and, and companies that are behind these businesses and they're bringing us products that we want to continue to have in the future. And, and I, I think that, you know, I give Secretary Bilsack some credit. I, I, I thought the way he was framing his experience at COP honestly was how my experience went at the end of the day. I, I feel like there were a lot of media pieces on that issue and and some chatter, I guess, you know, it just happening in, in the way that you framed it. But I, I really do think that this idea that U.S. agriculture didn't have to be on the defensive during the conference and was framed more as part of the solution. Like I, I left with more optimism around the potential to partner together in this space and, you know, Farm Journal Foundation, I guess, two years ago now, we have to continue to get used to the fact that we're in 2024, right? But yep. we we held a, a discussion on, on this very topic of we have a need to feed a global population increasingly uh, dealing with challenges, but also an increasing population. And nutrition is so crucial in that. And we need to make sure that people globally are well nourished. And that includes, in many cases, a need for animal sourced foods. And primarily in you know, a young child's life, the, the micronutrients they're getting from dairy, from milk, just a, a glass of milk or an egg even, can have a transformative impact on their development. And that needs to be something that's accessible to people in developing countries, to children in developing countries. And in the face of climate change, if you're looking at, you know, how do we support nutrition? We need more animal source foods, not less. Yeah. How do we do that? Well, a key way we can do that with, with, you know, climate change in mind is through research and innovation. And I think that that's, that's such a huge focus for Farm Journal Foundation and something that I wish more and more people would talk about stop talking about the problem or, you know, framing the problem in whatever way you might want to, but what are the solutions? And, and I think doubling down on, on that in particular research and innovation as, as a way to, to, to rewrite the future and uh, work collectively together. I think we can, we can have it, we can have our cake and eat it too, or I guess our glass of milk and drink it too. Right. 
Speaking of Secretary Vilsack, you know, was there any outcomes or anything that would directly maybe affect the new farm bill that should be coming out here in the next few months, hopefully, or appropriations? Yeah. Was there anything from the conference that might directly or indirectly affect that? Yeah, so uh, I know a lot is going on right now in D.C., you know, a very uh, tenuous time in terms of what the future of funding levels will be, as well as the Farm Bill, which I think, unfortunately, is is tied a little bit to whatever happens on the appropriations front. They've got to figure that out before they can really move to the Farm Bill. So we'll see how that plays out. But I, I would say that there were there were things coming out. I mean, there were things kind of at a global level, which we can also talk about, but in, in particular related to the U.S. The U.S. government sent a very large delegation to COP this year and made a ton of announcements. There were over 30 members of Congress, actually, from both parties in attendance, and, and I had the pleasure of meeting with some of them. But in, in terms of ag and food security issues, Leadership from USDA, the State Department, the U.S. Agency for International Development, or, or USAID, were all there, uh, made uh, yeah, a number of announcements, either new commitments or reporting on progress against previously made commitments. I would point out um, the, the Agriculture Innovation Mission for Climate, or, or AIM for Climate, in particular, we were really tracking this, and, and I think it was a highlight of COP28. This is something that was launched at COP26, and it's actually a joint initiative between the U.S. government and the UAE government with dozens of other governments and, and hundreds of stakeholder partners, and including Farm Journal Foundation, where the goal is to significantly increase funding for climate-smart agricultural research and development through, uh, through next year, through 2025. At COP28, Aim for Climate more than doubled global investment in climate smart ag research to $17 billion. And mm. this has been launching, you know, just a couple years ago. And they launched new innovation sprints with key partners to focus on particular research problems and areas in this space. So that was something that I, I would would highlight uh, another, and, and of course the U.S. is, is a, a leader in this space, Another highlight was funding raised for the CGIAR, which is the largest publicly funded agricultural research organization in the world. And I would say something we're trying to do is, is get more people to know about them here in the United States and the great work that they do. Their research is critical to reducing hunger, malnutrition, and poverty overseas, and also has benefits for, for U.S. farmers. And so... I think that again, for us, this this critical nature of of focusing on research and innovation connects back to appropriations and and the farm bill here in in Washington D.C. And there are a number of opportunities through these these mechanisms to support ag innovation and address challenges like climate change, like global hunger and malnutrition and high input costs that that hurt farmers' bottom lines are continuing to struggle with. So so I, I'd say Feed the Future, the U.S. government's global hunger initiative needs continued and, and more robust funding, including to support things like the Feed the Future Innovation Labs, which is, is research happening at U.S. universities across the country in partnership with other global stakeholders like CGIR, who I mentioned, to address the root causes of hunger and climate-related 
you know, other climate related agricultural challenges. Another primary example, um, Congress, you know, organizations like the, the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research or FAR is the acronym, needs continued and, and I would argue increased funding. And this is something that gets its funding actually through mandatory funding in the farm bill. So that's a really a farm bill issue rather than an appropriations issue. But FAR is a public-private partnership. They match every taxpayer dollar invested in ag research with more than a dollar forty of private sector funding. And FAR is just a great use of taxpayer money with a high return on investment. And you have that that private sector incentive base, right, to make sure that this is ultimately going to be research that's that's getting into the hands of farmers and and relates to, um, you know, to to business interests. So um, we're you know we're generally just at a at a broad level on on public funding for ag R and D in the United States. We're we're way behind. So these are critical areas for us to be focused on through appropriations through farm bill. Countries like China. Are investing more in ag R and D, way more than in ag R and D than the U.S. And uh, you know, USDA, this this research is is so important. It's it's need this needs to change. And we know uh, from personal experience that harmful pests and diseases can be just a plane right away. So this is also really a national security issue. And I, and I think that's important for us to continue to push that that angle as well. Okay. Okay. Now. Besides ag, or maybe you don't know all the major announcements or takeaways, but what were some of the ones maybe beyond what we've already discussed? Sure. Well, maybe I can talk a little bit at, at sort of a global level. So we weren't tracking kind of the you know the big energy discussions or or some of the the other issues that certainly were part of the broad COP28 discussion and outcomes. But I, I would say on on the food and ag front, I've heard a lot of people refer to COP as a process. You know, like COP28 is one point in a long process of negotiations and commitments related to climate change. So there's reference to all sorts of different kinds of formal documents and joint work and and different things that, uh, you know, either they didn't make progress at this particular COP or for the first time ever, food and ag was highlighted in an official COP document over here, you know, the global, there's a global stock take document. So there's a lot of a very, um, you know, new, nuanced and internationally facing uh, stuff that was happening, right? Um, but I think one of the real highlights on a global scale was the UAE-led declaration. It was the declaration, I think, on sustainable agriculture, resilient food systems, and climate action. And UAE was really trying to make food and ag a, a big part of the COP, the, the COP28 that they hosted. And, and you have a certain amount of, of leeway as the host government you know, to push things that, and issues that matter from your perspective. And so they really were doing that in the space. And Nearly 160 countries, including the U.S., signed on in support of this declaration, which, which is about taking steps to ensure that our global food systems are climate smart and climate resilient. It is recognizing the importance of fighting hunger and malnutrition as part of that, 
highlighting the role of women and small scale producers in our food systems and and to my um, you know to from my opinion very very uh, importantly trying to elevate innovation and long term solutions as part of a conversation. So so that was something that that came out of this COP that uh, I thought was was notable and and kind of sets that tone going forward. Um, the the CGIR also there was an announcement of 890 million in additional funding over the next couple of years for for them that was announced and that's that includes an additional 100 million from the United States and new funding pledged by the UAE and other donors. So that was also something that I, I think was a, a big moment at at this COP. Okay. Okay. Now, so this is an annual conference. And so where, do you know, where is it going to be held next year? So it is going to be held in Baku, Azerbaijan. Oh, I, I've uh, never been there, but I know where it is. So uh, yes, you, and I you, think it's a little earlier. I think it's in November, but don't quote me on that. Although so, I guess we're on a podcast, so. Yeah, I think you go to the Caspian Sea and turn left, and that'll get you yeah, there. I think. Yeah, I think. Uh, and uh, there's all sorts of you know rumor mill stuff going on, and and I know that the that COP thirty is actually in Belém, Brazil, so up in the Amazon, and mm. uh, you know there are a number of different threads uh, out there in the press about oil producing countries hosting COPs, and mm. what does that mean, and. And I think one thing I'm I'm curious to to see is just Dubai is an inch is such a large city with a big capacity to host large international events like this. And I'm curious to see whether a place like Baku can host eighty thousand yeah. people, right? Like, how many people are going to this next COP? What does that mean for this as a moment? to talk about these issues. Obviously, like we talked about, the negotiations will be ongoing. It'll be that moment for sure, but will the the, the other stakeholders show up on maps like they did in Dubai? And, and we're tracking that too. Do we send folks uh, from our organization, right? So yeah. that's still, I think, up up in the air, but, but yep, that'll yeah. be later I, this year, I guess. Yeah, I would say uh, Dubai sounds a little nicer than Baku in November. So, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Now, Brazil, if it's in the Amazon, yeah, I don't think they're going to handle 80,000 people, but but we'll see. It, it's interesting, you know, there's a, just yesterday, uh, there was an article in the Financial Times, and I think there's one maybe in the Wall Street Journal too, about there's a, a various, I guess, politicians in the UK that are requesting the New York Stock Exchange not to allow JBS, which is a Brazilian you know, meat packing company and so on right. to be listed because of deforestation and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, with it being in Brazil in a couple of years, that, that'll be interesting too. Oh, for sure. And I feel like this is part of the conversation and, and why Brazil wants to host, right? I mean, there's, yeah. there's something about remaking your image or trying to to show up. I mean, similar to countries wanting to host the Olympics, right? I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a huge international event. And how can you use that as a platform to push your your own agenda? And yeah. and I think you have to recognize that, but then also appreciate this is still a UN organized event. You know, it's still a moment where there are a lot of other conversations happening. And so I think you kind of have to square the circle a little bit and, and just figure out 
uh, as as an organization like ours, you know, how do we how do we advance our priorities and, and make sure that these issues are, are on the radar screen, regardless of what's happening at that big macro level, right? Yeah. Uh, Katie, we'll go ahead and take a quick break for a sponsor message, and we'll come back and uh, go over a few other items. How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi, a blue diamond farming company in Jessup, Iowa, know RoboAgar Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's I'm building our grain site, or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Robo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers, and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, Robo Agri Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, Robo Agri Finance. Welcome back, everyone, to the Top Producer Podcast. I'm Paul Nepe, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with uh, Katie Lee for, with the Farm Journal Foundation. Now, Katie, can you explain a little bit about what is the Farm Journal Foundation and what did you guys really do while you were at COP28? Sure. Yeah. So while we share the namesake of our friends in the media company, Farm Journal Foundation, we're an independent nonprofit and nonpartisan organization that brings together farmers, ranchers, and other stakeholders from across agriculture to discuss and advance solutions to big challenges like climate change, global hunger and malnutrition, rural economic development. So at, at COP, we hosted several events to highlight the role of agricultural research and innovation in tackling climate change and, and these, these broader issues and, and how that also connects back to U.S. national security and, and global stability. Uh, this included a private roundtable discussion that I moderated with several U.S. senators and leadership from the, the State Department and USAID on these topics. And ultimately, I mean, we really wanted to get the message out there that research and food security programs like what we talked about earlier, like Aim for Climate and Feed the Future, they need support. Uh, these are just so important. I mean, global hunger and malnutrition is increasing and bad weather events are getting more frequent and extreme. So these these issues are, are crucial for us all to be focused on and we had a lot of conversations with U.S. government, but we also had a lot of conversations with other stakeholders and partners about why these issues are important. And, and that was really our goal to elevate these issues and take uh, public events and private discussions to to these particular folks where we feel like they have the leadership and, and responsibility to, to enact change in these areas. Okay. okay. Uh, I also understand, you know, that the foundation is going to release a new research report uh, that sort of talks about the links between ag, climate, global nutrition, and so on. And I understand that that was actually previewed at COP28. Can you go over what is that report and, and some of the details? 
Sure. Yeah. So, so we've launched a number of reports, including last year on, on related topics. And our latest report is titled Malnutrition in a Warming World, How Climate Change Impacts Nutrition Security in Low and Middle Income Countries. And we shared the executive summary of the report at COP28. And we're actually right now we're working on plans to formally launch the report soon. In the past few years, because of climate change, COVID-19, and international conflicts like the war in Ukraine, we've seen an increasing instance of global hunger as well as malnutrition. And today, about 10% of the global population actually experiences hunger significantly higher than before the pandemic, unfortunately. And 3 billion people are unable to afford a well-balanced, healthy diet that includes things like whole grains, fruits, vegetables, and animal source foods like meat, dairy, and eggs. So there's a particularly critical window called the first 1,000 days, which is from conception to age two in a child's life, where if a child is malnourished, that will have effects on that child for the rest of their lives. And this includes stunted height, but also cognitive issues. If you think of that at scale, an entire country can be faced with significant existing, you know, current, but also future challenges if their young children are malnourished. Then that can ultimately impact U.S. national security and economic opportunities. So nutrition is an important thing for leaders to be thinking about as they discuss these issues and it isn't always that people don't have access to food, they also need access to the right food. So farmers and food producers have an important role to play in ensuring that people are healthy and well-fed. And, and this report really tries to, to look at the connection of these issues, You know, the importance of investing in global nutrition and how it connects to climate change issues. And, and what are some of the policy solutions and, and places to invest more to try to reduce the, the challenges in this space going forward. And I guess continuing on that, uh, you know, why is it important for farmers and other people in ag to really get involved in these international discussions? You know, I think sometimes we just sort of concentrate on our own little part of the world and, and we need to understand that there's a more global outlook out there. So why is that important? I really do think it's it's important, and we we saw some farmers there, and I honestly would love to see more. Uh, and and we were able to actually one of our our new farmer ambassadors and one of our current farmer ambassadors um, were were in attendance and and trying to do that, you know, trying to to make sure that farmers' voices were heard. And and I think that. COP, I mean, it's a moment when climate change is in the spotlight and international and industry leaders are there as well as activist groups and campaigners. It's it's just so important for, for farmers and, and ag, you know, voices from the ag community to speak up, make their voices heard, because at the end of the day, they are going to be the ones that are among the most affected, if not the most affected by climate change. And they need to be they, they need to have access to those tools and solutions for for them to be both productive and, and profitable to you know to stay in business. We need to have solutions that work for them and their bottom lines. So coming to the table internationally to discuss these issues, ensure that agriculture is part of the conversation, 
these conversations are becoming increasingly prominent and more frequent. Um, but climate change, again, like we talked about, it's a big issue. We'll be talking about it for a long time. And we need to make sure agriculture is part of the conversation and part of the solution. Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, very good. Now, I probably goofed up here. I should have at the beginning at least had you introduce who you are, where you grew up, uh, how you got involved <laughs> in the foundation. I, I goofed up. So I'm going to give you a chance to to, to share with the audience uh, who Katie is. So let, let's let's go ahead and do that. Well, thank you. We we jumped right into the the meat of the the yeah. topic, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I've I've been at Farm Journal Foundation formally working for Farm Farm Journal Foundation for I guess about a year and a half now, but I've been a big fan of the foundation and have worked with them for a long time. I, I previously worked for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I also worked for another NGO um, and started my career on Capitol Hill, actually. I worked for for the late Senator Richard Lugar from Indiana. Mm -hmm. I worked on the Foreign Relations Committee staff and I had the the privilege of working for him and 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 with some amazing people who worked for him on you know, really looking at how the U.S. government could step up on supporting global food and nutrition security issues. And that's been kind of the, the span of my, my career and to be able to work on those issues here at Farm Journal Foundation and to, to be able to work more directly with U.S. farmers and producers has been a real pleasure. And just looking forward to what 2024 and beyond uh, have to offer in this space. It's, I think, a bright future for our organization as well as for these issues. And yeah. despite all of the challenges that are happening around the world, a lot that we can do to to make the world a better place. Well, good. Now, did you grow up in Indiana then? I did not. I got away with working for an Indiana member without actually living in Indiana. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I'm I'm originally from St. Petersburg, Florida. Oh, so there's a little difference in weather between Indiana and Florida. I, I will yeah, say that. Similar, so. more similar to your experience recently in Hawaii, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I went from Hawaii to Colorado, and as I look outside, it's about well, I know it's about 20 degrees and the wind's blowing about 30 miles an hour. So wind chill's <laughs> got to be below zero and I'm wearing shorts. So uh, it's got to be officially below zero for me not to wear shorts. So, uh, but uh, nobody, nobody cares about that. So <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? No, just thank you so much again for, for having me. And I, I really appreciated the conversation and to try to connect these global issues back to to U.S. farmers and and interests in the agriculture space, I think you know in an increasingly globalized world, there are so many challenges, but also so many opportunities. And I think, like you said before, you know if we if we only stay in our little bubbles, that it, it, that's it, it's just not not a mindset that I would recommend. I think yeah. if we can if we can think more broadly about all of these opportunities globally and how we can engage constructively and collaboratively that can only help our own little bubbles, right? And so that's that's something that is a frame of mind for me and for our organization and just look forward to other opportunities to partner 
with farmers and ranchers and other folks in this space and just keep Farm Journal Foundation in mind as an advocate for these issues and, and a partner. Well, and I think uh, maybe we'll have another uh, conversation maybe after the next COP29 in beautiful Baku uh, in uh, November or December of this year. Sounds good. And maybe we'll have a farm bill to talk about at that point, too. Uh, we better have a farm bill. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. And although you never know. So we'll see what happens. But uh, again, this is the uh, Top Producer Podcast. And this is Paul Nee for your host, signing off. <laughs>